Security Excellence Through Education, Corporate Security University. Everybody, it is awesome to see you out there. My name is Carlos Francisco. I'm Scott Walker. And this is Corporate Security University. Security excellence through education. Scott, Scott, we have an awesome guest today to join us, man, and a pretty good conversation. I think a lot of the uh, security companies out there may be thinking about it. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Maybe uh, even proprietary uh, companies out there that have their own security may be thinking about this if they haven't done it. everyone should talk about this. This is breaking news. Everybody should be talking about this. And uh, so this is an important one. I'll let you kick it off, man. All right. So so we have the wonderful and talented Rhett Waddell with us today, which is awesome to have him in-house here speaking with us. But here's the, this is the issue. This is what came up. And Carlos, you, you spotted this and you were eagle-eyed on it, but um, it generated a broader discussion. So I'll just kind of outline really thinly what the issue was, because this came out on the news. And basically, uh, a mall security officer was uh, ca- had had captured a uh, petty theft suspect and took that that um, female back to the security office and then there was some some things that should have happened that happened uh, sexually and um, the security officer was arrested and is now facing sexual assault charges. The question, however, that was posed by the media um, and some of the experts that they had was, is, is this something that security officers should also have in their background, i.e. a polygraph or a, a, a psychological evaluation? Because there was some attenuation that, that, that if that um, psychological had occurred, then there would not have been this kind of uh, an assault that would have happened. So for broader discussion, Carlos, Red, what do you think about this? Yeah, I'm going to hand it over to Rhett. Yeah, go ahead, Rhett. Hey, hey, brothers. Always good talking to you guys. Um, so again, let, well, let's take let's take the broadest look, right? When when we see video or cell phone coverage, and we wonder why the police officer didn't shoot the knife out of the guy's hand, or you take a broad look at what is policy versus what is process, right? Um, I, I think there's always a time to look at what is the appropriate level of screening or training as we ask law enforcement and then pivot to private security. What are we asking them to do and what is the, what is the requiem for their background? So since we're talking about this one case, right, clearly this, this one security officer stepped over the line. Each state has licensing and training requirements as they certify an individual to be an armed armed security officer. The big thing is, you know, I've, you guys know my background, right? I was in the military. I oversaw armed military police officers, contract law enforcement officers, armed security officers, and unarmed security officers. So I've played the gamut, right? Wow. And, and the background that goes into each of their, requirements is different, right? 
We've got the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, right, FLETSI. We have other centers that train armed and unarmed security officers. So when you look at what's the liability, Carlos, Scott, you guys are into risk maintenance, risk avoidance, risk management. If I've got an $18 security officer that I'm asking to do a specific task, should we put them through the same Minnesota multi-phased testing <laughs> battery of a two-hour written test followed up by a clinical psychologist evaluation of that test followed up by a one to two hour in-person interview to balance the risk of what are we going to do with officer Smith, right? Are we going to let him have a weapon? Are we going to let him run a certain set of tasks? And and with that comes the, the level of background that we get into it. I'll pause, let you guys, you know, come at it from different aspects and we can move forward. Yeah. I, uh, Scott, please. I mean, that, that was. A, by the way, uh, I got to start with this. Got to start with this. A little clapping it oh, up. He's got a of, yeah, a lot of clapping it up because uh, a lot of good stuff that you just brought out there for us to unearth. But go ahead, Scott. Well, let's. You, you're absolutely right about uh, training experience and 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 licensing. I think it's interesting too, Red. I mean, having started my career, if you will, <laughs> in security a um, hundred years ago in loss prevention. Um, I was not a licensed security professional, if you will, like a secure security officers. When I was in California, security officers are licensed by the Bureau of Security Investigative Services uh, through the state of California, so on and so forth. But there's there was no caveat at that time. I think it's changed now, but there was no caveat at that time for licensing of uh, loss prevention detectives. So store detectives. Um, and so, you you know, where do you go with uh, more requirements, more restrictions on uh, licensed professionals? I think it's interesting to talk about. Um, would it weed out people? Well, okay, so they took they take this test once. I mean, it's the same thing with law enforcement. You take the MMPI um, one time, and then you go to work for the next twenty or thirty years. Um, could your psyche change over that time? Of course. Can you? become a bad person over time? Of course. I think if, if uh, that was a requirement, it would probably be prohibitive for employers. They wouldn't want to pay for that. It's it's expensive. I mean, it's got to be hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to, to give somebody this test because it's not just the test, right? It's you, get, you give them the test and then they have to have a psychologist, you know, review it. And then I, I don't know when I took it for law enforcement, I then I took the test and then went and talked to a psychologist about the results. And uh, so, you you know, that all that stuff I would imagine would still need to happen again, who pays for this. So either the, the individual uh, security professional or security person pays for this or their company, or, you know, eventually somebody is going to have to pay this and pass it on to the consumer. Yeah. It's tough. You know, I was going to say, um, does it happen often enough in the week? Do we care? Do we care enough in the industry, the the one-off that happens, right, to where it's like, okay, yeah, everybody probably needs to get a, a background check. Not Well, uh, everybody should, and, and we'll, yeah. we'll cover that here in a little bit, how sometimes it doesn't happen. But... Um, but the, the whole the whole entire psych psych test out of that, I mean, I remember, you know, when I became a cop and I think all of us at one time had to go sit through that four, four yeah. hours of grueling four same hours. questions over and over and over and over again of the same thing. Um, but, you know, 
do we do we care? Is it happening enough in the industry where we care about these things? And then is it even a career? Like people are still talking about, well, it's not truly a career. Why are we putting everybody through all of this? A lot of people are just going to come in and, you know, work for three months or a lot of people will do everything and not even show up to work on the first day. Like, is it a real, real thing or not? I don't know. Yeah. Well, well I, mean, I, in I this think it situation. depends on. Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, Scott. I think it depends on, the, you know, the, the scope of responsibility, right? So when, when we're sending people through, you know, Fletzy or another certifying academy, the, the, the payer, which in this case, most oftentimes is the government, wants a certain amount of protective liability, right? They, they say, if I'm going to give this guy a gun and I'm going to afford him the color of authority, he or she, then I'm going to make sure that I've done my due diligence on each one of these candidates because I'm, I'm allowing them to take the place of, you know, a Title 10 U.S. code enforcing entity. And with that comes a certain amount of responsibility. Now, as you move, you move up or down the, the chain of responsibility, I think, A, what this individual did in a loss prevention role is, is abhorrent, right? He broke the law. He violated his oath. He, he, whatever state the person was in, I'm sure that state body is going to take some, some legal action about whether or not, you know, he was trained correctly and, and all of those things. And I, you know, my heart goes out to the individuals who are put in these positions. Uh, you know, but I still think, Carlos, you, you know, you have a good question, right? What is the public willing to accept from people who are in a role of some kind of authority or responsibility, right? And a security officer, security professional is one of those. Um, And what I was going to say here too, we talked about, you know, it being a career that uh, in this situation, at least the person had been working for um, one of two of the largest security companies in the world uh, for 15 years. So to him, it was a career and, and um, you know, for, for whatever time. Uh, and usually, honestly, being a, a, unfortunately being a sexual assault investigator myself, I know that these situations do not just happen out of the blue. There were probably indicators um, and there were probably conditions that occurred or things that occurred that somebody thought, oh, well, that's creepy or that's weird. And nobody reported it. Um, and, and he escalated to this. Um, and, and this, you know, likely is not the first time. And I'm not saying that about this person specifically. I can just say in general, my experience with um, sexual agree. assault suspects do they're recidivists, right? Um, and that, which is which makes it a really hard crime to just put somebody away for a couple of years. You know, I'd yeah. rather them not be on the street because they they don't stop. Um, but you know, that aside, I think you know this is also goes into um, what did the employer know? What should they have known? Uh, you know, if they had concerns about somebody do you let them work alone do you let them i mean obviously we all know processing prisoners you don't process uh if you're a male officer you don't process a female by yourself you always have a another uh, person there or a female it, it, so you know obviously policies and procedures were not followed but you know what could the employer have known i don't know carlos what do you think yeah i right 15 years that's that's a whole lot of years. Uh, I know as a young man and I started in security, God, I, I did plenty of uh, 
weird stuff. None of them criminal, uh, but I, I definitely learned a couple of lessons uh, with the, some of the uh, older security folks that would pull my ears every once in a while, you know, and say, Carlos, yeah, that was stupid. Don't do not do that again. Uh, I have some really hilarious stories, uh, by the way, on that. Um, but you're right, right? 15 years, a lot of problems possibly with this guy. No, but nobody ever said anything. Let me ask another question. Is the point of entry, I, I, I think I know the answer to this, but is the point of entry to security today, the observe and report security, not guns, not gun security, vest security, none of that. The, the observe and report, as this uh, gentleman was, is the point of entry too easy, you know, and do we make it real easy because we need bodies and there's no bodies out there? Um, are we doing enough to educate, train and uh, prepare them for what it is out there? But most importantly, uh, are we doing the backgrounds that we need? I mean, I know uh, and I saw this in the news about a month, a month and a half ago, uh, the state of Arizona Um Gents, where you live, they were having a problem finishing up all the background checks that they needed to do in order to get people licensed to work in the state. And at the same time, I am sure there was pro- they were probably out there working. So is oh, the point yeah. of entry too too easy? To, I mean, again, I'm going to ask, do we care? Because it might be just bodies that we need. What What is it? What is it? That, you know, and how do we make it? How do we make it better? Go ahead, Rhett. Wow. Um, so again, uh, previews of coming attractions. I'll see you guys at GSX 2023. This is, this is, see, I like to put, I'm glad on stage. I'm glad Rhett, I'm glad Rhett is answering these right away. Um, Scott, I'm just saying, yeah. So are we making it too easy? I think, I think in any industry, right. You've seen after, you know, the, the global pandemic, you know, things were relaxed. Now everything's booming again. People who used to want to work uh, have reprioritized their lives. They're not willing to necessarily earn a hundred percent of their income and then leverage seventy percent of it to childcare and other things. So uh, the market has a higher demand than there are people to fill it in across the board. Um, I still think you know uniformed and 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 security services are a profession. They're not just a job. It's not just a post. They're not just a body. But everybody doesn't see it that way. So are we making it too easy? I don't think so. I think things are pivoting. I think 2025, you're going to see, you know, a, a younger workforce doing jobs that older professionals, you know, are going to age out. We've got a lot of people that are doing the jobs now, whether they're law enforcement or military retirees. You know, we're, we're hitting that across the board. Scott, you're, you know, you see it in your, in your company and your profession across your political uh, contacts all the time. You know, we've talked to guys, whether it's here in Phoenix, whether it's stadium security, whether it's the large security companies, right? They are all scrambling to fill roles at the 17 to the $30 an hour range. And, and we just don't have enough what used to be qualified willing candidates to fill them. Yeah, and, and I think we're going to see an influx of, you know, as we've talked about in the past, the, um, the baby boomers are retiring exponentially yep. over the next 10 years. So uh, can they, can, can anybody really retire anymore? That is the big question mark. And w- one of the things that is uh, I think attractive in the, at least in the uniform security field is uh, your ability to kind of control your shift or control your livelihood uh, from, I don't want to work in the morning. I want to work in the afternoon. 
evenings type situation. You know, it's always been good for students. We know that. Um, and I think it's going to be a hot market for retirees. But does uh, that preclude that they still will need to do a background investigation? Of course not. You know, or or, or some level of due diligence. I'll just call, I'll be broad, broad and say due diligence. Yeah. What we have today, a lot of people aren't aware of, and, and certainly not the news media. They didn't interview, by the way, any security professionals. They interviewed lawyers for that for that piece, by the way, who are not experts in security um, or licensing, by the way. So they didn't even know what the security professionals have been or what a uniform security guard goes through for licensing and that they do get a criminal history check. They do get their 10 print, um, 10 fingerprints checked as well. Um, anything over and above that really is going to, you're going to have to be sensitive to uh, who pays for that, that additional cost. And what does that cost? Cause a lot of times security officers are paying for their own initial licenses. Um, you know, if, if required that sometimes that can be between 50 and a couple hundred bucks. And if somebody who's going in at the lower end of the pay, to your point, Rhett, you said, you know, 15 to $30 being a pay range, um, they're going in at $15, let's say, because they're new to the industry. Are they going to really want to pay hundreds of dollars? Now, I think you made this point earlier, Rhett, if you are going to be required for your job to, to um, possess certain tools that can maim or injure, like a firearm or a baton, uh, or a taser, or even, you know, should, you, should there be additional scrutiny? I don't have an issue with that. I, I think additional training is good. Additional scrutiny um, is good. If you're going to carry a firearm, perhaps uh, psychological would be good. Um, I, but it, 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 just realizing it's going to be a drag on the, that economy or that, the, that industry. Uh, right. Somebody's going to have to foot the bill. But I mean, Carlos and I have debated this for five or six years, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At any given day, on any given shift, uh, uniformed security officers outnumber law enforcement uh, 20 to 1, right? For every officer that you see driving through Mayberry, there are 10 to 20 security officers doing a similar role with not the same level of responsibility or authority. So there are many more of our security professionals out there. And we're asking them to do more, right? As we talk about market, you know, Profit margins reducing. We're talking about asking people to do more. We, you know, Carlos and I have talked, for, you know, for at the past few weeks about, you know, how do you how do you get a higher value out of the security industry? That's by asking them to do traditional non-security tasks, right? So as we ask people to do more, uh, we've got the mental health crisis. We've got people that are getting engaged in in all kinds of different areas. I think training needs to increase. And I know, you know, the National Association of Security Companies and other people much like the tech industry, have asked Congress for decades to come up with a basic line of, of requirements for these industries. And it hasn't been done at the federal level, and it hasn't been done a lot at the state level. So, you know, we could just, we could take this into a three-hour class, and then, well, you know, we, I look forward to seeing it on uh, on your website. And your well, we could, we could, but, he, but here it is, here it is. So here's the lesson today right through corporate security university here's how i'm seeing it if you're gonna go and you're gonna sign a statement of work a global contract whatever the case may be i think what you want to do with the security contract guard force companies make sure that if they're gonna step on your floor that they're all background checked and i'll tell you why because there's still states in the united states and i'm gonna name them all 
I'm going to name them all today where there is no need, there is no body overseeing security whatsoever, okay? So state licensing of security officers. Here we go. We're going to start. It's, it's by the way, alphabetical order, which is, which is quite nice. Uh, you know, did this on purpose. But here we go for today's conversation. Alaska. <laughs> well, we're, uh, actually, they do have a uh, Department of Public Safety, which covers security. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But, okay. but here we go. Colorado. Colorado is one of them, right? Here's another one. Here we go. Hawaii. Hawaii. Mm. So if you want to work security in Hawaii, as you're going out there on vacation, by the way, think about this. You're going out there on vacation. Think about it. Here we go. Idaho, the great state of Idaho. All right. No, no state licensing boards or anything like that. Here we go. Kansas. Kansas, Kentucky. Yep. Kansas, right? Kentucky, the case. Uh, and right next to it, Missouri. They, they don't do that. Massachusetts. So show me show me state. Just don't show me your license. Just don't show me a license. I don't need it. I don't need it. <laughs> Mississippi. Mississippi is out there as well. We got Nebraska, right? Good good folks in, in Nebraska out there. One of my favorite places to go visit. Um, and uh, we have Pennsylvania, which I would have thought Pennsylvania would have been all over this. Uh, personally, I would have thought Pennsylvania would be all over this. And um, South Dakota. North Dakota, good to go. South Dakota, not good to go. Not so <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm talking about when it comes to license. They're both great states. Right. They're both great, great states. 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 But uh, last, last but not least, all right, guys, Wyoming. West. Oh, really? Wyoming. West Virginia is a little bit. As a matter of fact, check this out. West Virginia is almost like California. They have their own state private investigative security guard licensing body. Yeah. That's all they do. That's all they uh-huh. do, like BSIS, as you were mentioning earlier, Scott. Yeah. So- here it is. If you're in those states and definitely, you know, think about any contract. That's it. Every single contract the agreement that you have with a, with a, with a company, I would highly suggest you make sure that every single one of those officers have a background check at least minimum. Right, guys? That's what do you think about point. that? Yeah. Uh, well, so here's you know, talking to your talking to the corporate security university person that's just looking, hey, how can I get better? How can I do a better job? How can I educate myself? First and foremost, if you're with a private company and you're going to have an internal or an external security force, most often than not, the officers are working for the paycheck on their shoulder, but the pride comes from the banner on the door, right? So wherever you are, you know, whether it's Ernie's team, our team, your team, Chuck's team, the teams that are out there buy into us as a company that's driving culture and commitment. And, and making them a part of our team. So I think that's where we leverage it, right? We are asking this company to have officers on the ground that are going to mitigate our company's risk and liability and drive our company's culture. That's why they yeah. need to be better trained and better paid. And, and on this thought, on this thought, good one, and I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Scott. On this thought, too, if you are a proprietary uh, uh, security team that, you know, the, the company owns the team, Right. A lot of companies, we know that today, if you're proprietary, you do not need a license. In many states, you don't need a license. You're proprietary, that is your own. My suggestion is, though, my suggestion is for insurance and liability purposes, that if Mm -hmm. your state has a security, please run everybody through it. Make sure they have a state license, regardless of what it is, and then you can educate them in your own own thing. When I started in security, no such thing, okay? I, I was in proprietary security in the beginning, and the training they gave me was perfectly fine. However- 
the company later uh, became more educated, right? That's why we're here at Corporate Security University. And they made sure that we all went through the state certification body as well for uh, just to cover a little bit more liability if we ever have to go to court. But go ahead, Scott. We have the same problem as in the private investigation world, too. Uh, there are certain states that require it and certain states that don't. Now, we're a little bit um, different in that uh, the requirements really are don't come into our state where we're licensed and start trying to to um, find clients because that's illegal. So, you know, I, I don't know what it is on, on the security officer side, but I, I agree generally, um, you know, it kind of comes down to what the public expects, not so much about the authority. That was that was something that was named in the uh, in this article oh well the security officers have a lot of authority they don't have any more authority than the general public does but they do have a, a the authority of the property owner I guess if that was a thing I mean it is a thing uh, if that was a, a concern but they don't generally have any any more authority than the general public and a lot of people well, yeah because Scott if, if if I'm at Rhett and Scott's you know uh, company, yeah. Then the guys that work for us have no more authority than we do on, you know, crimes and misdemeanors, right? I can't detain. Right. I can't just go up to a citizen. That's, that's an regardless. arrest. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So they have no yeah. real detention authority, although most of the public doesn't know that. Right. So if they say, hey, I believe you've committed a violation or an offense or a crime, come with me. More often than not, they're going to come with them, that's uh, right. even though they're, they're probably free to leave at any time. So that's another uh, another class or two from the corporate security university but, that I'd like. But to that's see. the misnomer is like, oh, well, they have authority because they have a badge and, and a uniform. And a really cool flashlight. And a really cool flashlight. So yeah. the, I, I think there's, you know, the general public has to get educated. And certainly the, the press does, too, because they're only doing damage here. They're only trying to make this a bigger deal than it is. And the lawyers and their attorneys are only trying to get to the deeper pockets, which are the security com- the big international security companies that own these issues. Right. But I think to go back to Carlos's point about uh, backgrounding, remember background. And I agree. I don't disagree with any. I would. I want more backgrounds for for people, not less. Uh, mainly because I do those things. Uh, I love background investigations, <laughs> due diligence, and all those things. I love doing mm-hmm. uh, of, of people and businesses. So because I can find out. Well, you know what are what are all the terrible things that you've done in your past. So, or all the good things you've done in your past too. Um, but the, the uh, background check is only as good as the first time it was taken or the last time it was taken rather. So you usually only get one background check when you um, sign up for a license or, or when you get hired for a business. I like that. Um, so with my private investigations license in Arizona, when I renew it, they rerun my background and they rerun yeah. criminal history checks. So license, I, I'm a fan of licensing as long as it's kept affordable, right? Because we're not talking about, it does not take a government employee a long time to submit your, your 10 print, your name, your date of birth into NCIC and run it or through the state database. It does not take a lot of time and energy. I know it's over thousands of people or tens of thousands of people but it's not a hard thing to do. So more of those is better. Keep the pricing reasonable so it doesn't hurt the economy of the industry. That's all I say. Right. Yeah. And I, I think as much as we'd like government oversight, uh, hashtag Amtrak, right? Do I really want the 
<laughs> no offense. You don't live in Ohio. Gonna, what do you care? This is going to go out on you know on the World Wide Web, and I'm sure. But I, I think <laughs> the more that the more that companies, you know, take the responsibility for their own workforce, you know, uh, I I would just I, I echo what you said. I would like yep. to see a standardized yep. background that is invasive enough to turn over eighty percent of the things in a person's background. Someone that can right. read that background, you know whether it's the MMPI or the, or the abbreviated, you know, Rorschach or some kind of test, right? Because <laughs> I always see cows and pie. It's National Pie Day. Um, but let's do a better job of remembering that, you know, 90% or higher of the officers that are out there on duty right now are doing a great job. You Absolutely. Know, pr- assisting, protecting observing reporting doing yeah. the things that we asked them to do so that's exactly it that's exactly and that's why i mentioned like do we really care is it happening that much right because we have some amazing folks out there so i'm going to clap it up for that one again nothing but good stuff coming out from Rhett, and then you know i think that's money yeah i but here's a couple things we got we got less than two minutes so here we go here's a couple things i'll throw it out there and we'll go from there you ready if you are a company today and you're trying to write a policy or understanding, here it is. Look, if you're going to escort somebody or uh, back in my days, we used to say invite, invite them to the office. Uh, if you're going to do that, here we go. You got to escort with the opposite sex and the standby must be the opposite sex as well. I don't care if you get a merchandise host, uh, a merchandise person that's a female and the opposite sex sit there or a manager of retail or something like that. If that's what you're going to do and continue to do, not thinking about liability, like, you know, if it's California, right? Under $999.99, it's a misdemeanor so why the hell do we care or are we putting our people in in harm's way by trying to step in right and do these things so if you're not thinking about that forget about it but i would suggest that here's another suggestion you have for that i have for your company uh if you're gonna have a policy where you're escorting somebody someone somewhere at any time then you're doing something with it okay you're either doing a trespass which then you get a log from the law enforcement right do everything else you're doing maybe a contact log for the company you're doing an event log you're doing something something needs to be done none of this i'll bring you in the back area and you know i do whatever I want kind of thing. you got to set those policies straight. Uh, and again, going back to liability numbers, do you even want to get into that business where you're escorting people out? You just hope that they leave, right? You hope that they leave and if anything else. And here it is. The reason why we should do a background check every two years and the reason why you should definitely just get a state license if your state license uh if you have one that requires it, right? Yeah. Even if you're a proprietary company, it's because you kind of have to go through that every two years or so to renew your license. So you almost get a freebie. So as a company, it is worth to pay a hundred bucks, whatever it is for you to go through that. You get a little background check that comes with it. And uh, just an idea, Scott. But by the way, when if you are in a state or if you have vendors that are in a state that are not regulated by that th- those security regulations and need to be relicensed every couple of years, Make sure that you put that in your contract. Yeah. So listen. That they need to be backgrounded. We got to cut it here. We got to cut it here. Rat, thank you very much. We appreciate you, buddy. Thank you for Always coming. Claps. <laughs> that's right, right? Always, always appreciate talking to you guys. Yeah, that's it, man. So, hey, listen, uh, I am Carlos Francisco. I'm Scott Walker. And this is Corporate Security University. Security excellence through education. All right. Take care. Security Excellence Through Education, Corporate Security University.